appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here today. Last week was a lot of fun. If you were here, if you missed it, it was my uh, birthday. And uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I turned that big number 5-0. So that was a lot of fun. And we had a nice meal afterwards, enjoyed it. I shared with you last week some verses that I found to be comforting and I think would be comforting to anyone depending on what decade you're in, if you're um, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. So when I was 30, the verse that I chose, I'm going to put back up on the screen here for you, and that verse is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. It's actually the second half of the verse. It says, train yourself for godliness. Because we get into habits that sometimes don't really promote godliness. So you have to train yourself for, for godliness. It doesn't happen via osmosis. You can't stand next to another Christian and become more godly. It doesn't work that way. You have to train yourself. You have to discipline yourself, and there are spiritual disciplines. If you haven't taken the class yet that I wrote and that I um, would encourage you to take, I hope everyone will take it here. You can do it online. You can do it in a group. But it's a class that, that I call Welcome to This Church, and it's really Welcome to God's Church, and it's how to belong to a healthy church, how to be a healthy church member. And it talks about in step five, there's ten of them, uh, what are the spiritual disciplines, the things that really make a difference, the things that made a difference in my life and still do, the spiritual disciplines that every Christian should be training with are things like taking the Bible in, whether you read it or you listen to the Bible, you pray, you fast, you worship, you share your faith, you serve others, you cheerfully give a proportion of your income to God, you spend alone time with God, you journal your journey with God. These are all spiritual disciplines. And if you do these things, with the right motive, not going through the motions, but if you do them with the right motive, then they will lead to godliness, to holiness, which is what we sang about this morning, and that's what we need to do. So why doesn't every Christian practice these spiritual disciplines? You heard me list them off, and you probably in your head were thinking, okay, yeah, I do that, I do that. Oh, no, I don't do that. But probably the biggest reason many Christians don't have certain spiritual disciplines is because it takes self-discipline, and that's hard. It's hard work. It takes time to dedicate yourself to being godly, to being holy. In time, let's be honest, it's a commodity that's vanishing. It seems like nobody has time for anything, but we do. We all have the same amount of time. We just need to make the time, right? We need to set it as a priority. Personally, I beat myself up a lot about my own godly training. I think to myself, Matt, why don't you pray more? You know, why don't you fast regularly? Why, why haven't you shared your faith with someone lately? How come you're not honoring the Sabbath, spending quality time with God? These are questions I ask myself. Do you ask yourself those questions or am I alone? Yeah, okay, I thought so. Well, I'm not planning to talk about all the spiritual disciplines today, just one in particular, and that spiritual discipline is the one of prayer, but specifically intercessory prayer, interceding on behalf 
of others. And I wonder if you, if you know that intercessory prayer is a spiritual discipline. That means all Christians should be doing it. If you didn't know that, now you know. It's something we all do. Some maybe think that it's a spiritual gift, or maybe you've been told, oh yeah, interceding, prayerful, interceding, that's a spiritual gift. It's not. I looked. All of the places in the Bible that talk about the spiritual gifts, they don't talk about intercessory prayer as being a spiritual gift. It's something the whole church is called to do. If you're a Christian, you're called to do it. It's that plain and simple. In fact, the verse that I would lead you to look at is Ephesians 6.18. I'll bring it on the screen for you. Ephesians 6.18 says that we are to pray at all times in the Spirit, with the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to pray and supplicate. To that end, keep alert, Paul says, with all perseverance, make supplication for all the saints. So is that a select few of Christians that are supposed to do this? No, it's everyone. All of us are supposed to make supplication for the saints. Now, what's that big fancy word? I like to break things down for you. I don't want you to feel like you didn't know what was happening. Supplication means to humbly beg on your knees. That's the idea of supplication. That you are before God, humbly begging for someone else for whatever the prayer request is. So my question to you is, are you humbly begging God? Are you on your knees for your brother or your sister in Christ? Because that's what God has called us to do. All Christians. And you can't give the excuse, which is probably something you thought of, is, well, I don't know what to pray for. You ever thought that before? Like, I don't really know what to pray. Like, what would I say to God for my, you know, person that I want to pray for? What would I say? Here's the great news. Perhaps the greatest chapter in the whole Bible, Romans 8, tells us the answer. Verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Friends, you're in good company if you don't know what to pray for sometimes. The Spirit himself intercedes for you. With groanings too deep for words, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Isn't that awesome? That even when you don't know what to pray for, how to pray for someone, how to intercede for someone, the Holy Spirit who dwells in you will pray for you. Because God knows the mind of the Spirit. God knows your heart. Throughout the Bible, there's lots of examples, which is great. When you read the Old Testament and New Testament, you'll see all kinds of people interceding for other people. The Old Testament, as we know, is, is focused on one group of people, the Israelites, which is now the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. It's all focused on them, and there's all kinds of people, prophets, that spoke from God, that talked to God, and they interceded. Abraham, Moses, David, Samuel, Hezekiah, Elijah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, they all prayed for their people, for God's people, because let's be honest, when you read the Old Testament, you find out quickly that those people are just like these people here, those people are just like you, 
they messed up. They are not perfect. They fell short. And they needed redemption. They needed to be redeemed. They needed to be forgiven. And in one particular case, Daniel, and I want to encourage you to read a couple chapters in Daniel this week when you have time. When you have time. (laughs) Daniel 9 and and Daniel 10. Daniel was a prayer warrior. And he sought God's heart and God's glory. And there was one particular time in which he was praying, and he was actually mourning. It says that he was praying and mourning, and he was fasting. It was a different kind of fast than you might think of. But the proof uh, is in Daniel 10, 12 of what happened after he did this for three weeks. So he was pleading for the people to God. In verse 12, it says this. An angel said to me after three weeks, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand. From the very beginning, when you started praying, and this is the cool part, if you look closely, he humbled himself before God. God saw that Daniel was humbling himself before God for the people. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Now, I'm not going to tell you why it took three weeks, because I want you to read Daniel 10 and see the, a really fascinating reason why this angel, which the word angel simply means messenger of God, this angel could not get to Daniel to tell him the answer to his prayers. You read it for yourself, Daniel 9 and 10. Daniel, if you read the whole book, you'll see that he prayed more than once. He fasted and prayed more than once. For different times, he did this. Fasting does many things, but one of the things mainly I feel that fasting does is it shows how serious you are about your prayer. Fasting, the word just simply means shutting your mouth. You're not going to eat. It's, it's kind of the traditional understanding of fasting. If you read Isaiah 58, in Isaiah 58, fasting is not simply a ritual that you can go through and God is pleased with. It's your heart that God looks at when you fast. So read Isaiah 58 if you think, are thinking about fasting and you want to know a little bit more. When I bring up fasting every, every once in a while, I don't talk about it very often, but when I do bring it up, I always get a lot of questions about fasting. I get questions like, how do I fast? How long should I fast? Can I have water when I fast? Can I have juice when I fast? I get all these questions, so I'm going to answer them all preemptively right now, I hope. (laughs) The answer is, whatever works for you. I'm serious. Whatever works for you. Because it's not how you fast. It's not how you fast. It's where your heart is at when you fast. Jesus didn't say if you fast, he said when you fast. And he was talking about their heart. What's going on with your heart? You saw Daniel's heart. He humbly was seeking God. Are you seeking God's will and his glory when you pray, when you intercede for others? If you are, God hears it, he knows it. Today we're in Exodus, we're back there finally, kind of took a couple weeks away from it, but we're going to see today that Moses was a prayer warrior also, and he fasted and prayed with urgency 
for God's people. And he did three separate times, three separate times where he prayed and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. So the title is 40 Days and 40 Nights. Three times he did this. Now, if someone asks you to pray for them, raise your hand if anybody's ever asked you to pray for them. Okay. Or you felt like the Holy Spirit was prompting you to pray for someone. Has that ever happened to you before? Great. So we're praying for other people already. My question is, how long do you do it? How long do you intercede for other people? The only wrong answer here is zero seconds. It's not a good thing to not pray for someone. But whether you pray one time for 10 seconds for someone, or you pray for 10 straight days for someone, or whatever, it's not about that. It's the fact that you do it, that you pray for them. I had a friend tell me once that his mentor told him he was going to pray for him every single day of his life. My friend was blown away by that commitment of intercessory prayer that his mentor offered to him. He was blown away. He was so comforted by that. Like he was, I could see he was like, his face was glowing. Like, man, this this person who I look up to, I respect, is going to pray for me every single day. That's, That's powerful. My goal today is not to make you feel guilty if you're not praying, interceding prayer for other people. That's not my goal. My goal is to encourage you to pray for others more, more than you ever have before. And not just do it once, do it continuously, and really do it the way we see it in the Bible, supplication. Really beg on your knees before God for your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ. And the only one that I know that can encourage you the most is Moses. Moses, when you look at his life and when you look at what he did, I hope it encourages you to pray for others. So I'm going to pause, I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to keep going. Father, I thank you for everyone here that's gathered in your name. We're here to worship you. We've sang to you. We've taken communion. We've given our offering We've prayed and now we're praying again. God, may our eyes be open, our ears hear what you have for us. May our heart be right. May you help us concentrate and block out all the distractions and not think about what we have to do later on today or tomorrow or what happened yesterday. But God, let us live right now mindful of what's going on. And may your Holy Spirit teach us today your truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. So i got to be honest with you, uh, in studying for this particular message, it took a lot of reading and rereading, because it's not just Exodus that I read. Moses wrote five books of the Bible, the first five books, and Deuteronomy is a really nice pairing with Exodus. When you read Exodus, Exodus isn't always chronological. Deuteronomy is a little more chronological. And so as I was reading kind of both places where it was talking about Moses going up for 40 days and 40 nights, I realized something that I never realized before, and that is how many times Moses went up 
for 40 days and 40 nights. If you just read Exodus, you would be led to believe it's only twice. But then you read Deuteronomy and you realize, wow, he went up a third time. Never knew that before. So here it is. I'll, I'll help you see it. And really, more than anything, what I want you to know and see is the reason why he did it three separate times. You need to know the reason why he was praying. Because if you're going to go before the Lord and you're going to pray, you're going to talk to God, you're going to listen to God, you're going to maybe fast, not eat, or, or, or fast from, from something, technology or, or whatever, however you decide to fast, so that you can concentrate on, on hearing from God, you, you need to have a purpose when you do it. And there's three purposes that Moses had when he prayed and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. So that's the goal. I want you to see that. Um, <clears throat> by the way, there's two other individuals in the Bible that were able to fast and pray for 40 days and 40 nights, specifically fast. Tell me one of them. You know it. Jesus, okay, and he did that right before he did what? He did battle with the devil, right? He had to deal with the temptations of the devil. And then there's another individual in the Old Testament that did it. Elijah, very good, Elijah. And that's important, I think, because in the New Testament, there was this one particular instance where Jesus took three of the 12 disciples, Peter, James, and John, up a mountain to meet with God. Now, they didn't know it, but when they got up to the mountain, Jesus was transfigured. This is in Matthew chapter 17, if you want to read it in the gospel, and some of the other gospels have it too. But Jesus was transfigured. He turned into this, like, white glowing being that, that was, like, his glorified body to be kind of a thing. And, and they were, like, in, in awe of it. And then there was two other individuals up there. Those two other individuals were Moses and Elijah. So here you got the three guys that fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, the only ones that, that are recorded in the Bible. Then Peter's babbling about, and God shows up in the cloud, and he talks, and, and everybody's on their faces because they're in awe of a holy God. And that all happens, but I, I got to wonder, I just remembered that and re realized who had fasted and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights. And my question is, what did Moses, Elijah, and um, Jesus talk about when they were together? I think they might have talked about that time of fasting and 40 days and 40 nights. I won't know. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask that question. I have a long list of questions that I have to ask. So, by the way, a 40-day fast with no water is impossible for any man or woman. Um, scientists, doctors would tell you that you can't really last more than three or four days without water. Your body will completely shut down and you'll die. Interestingly, I found an individual who allegedly lived for 18 days without food or water. He was uh, an 18-year-old Austrian bricklayer named Andreas Mihavich. I probably didn't pronounce that right. He was left locked in a police cell. The officers on duty forgot about him. His case made it into the Guinness Book of World Records, but allegedly he licked the condensation off the walls to stay alive. So did he really make it 18 days without water? We don't know. But the 40 days and 40 nights 
that Moses and Jesus did clearly to us indicate this was a supernatural experience. Only by God and his power could they have done this. Only by God and his power. So we don't know how that went about, but they did it. The first 40 days and 40 nights, Exodus 24, verse 18. Moses had entered the cloud. This is about the fourth or fifth time he's climbed this mountain. He goes up the mountain. Moses was on that mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. I'm going to pair that up with Deuteronomy 9.9, the same situation. When I went up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, you see Deuteronomy is more of a sermon of the last, uh, last sermon of Moses' life after 40 years of wandering in the desert. It's kind of in the first person, you see here, how he's, how he's writing. When I went up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant, the promise that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And in case you were wondering, how did he fast? He had no bread and had no water. So clearly, supernatural, God did this, gave him the ability to do this. You should know that prior to this, it's been a minute since we've been in Exodus, prior to this, God had already given Moses the laws, the commandments. God had spoken the Ten Commandments the first time to all the people, in which, told, which they were in so much fear that they said, we can't handle it. Moses, you mediate for us. You intercede for us. And so he did, and he had all of these uh, commands in the book. He called the Book of the Covenant, and he read it to them. And they had the special ceremony, remember, where everyone didn't want to be in the front row anymore because he was splattering blood on them from the sacrificial animals. That's why this row is always empty, I think. (laughs) Where there is no blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. That's what God established. So he goes up the mountain, not to get all of those commandments. There's like 623 commandments or something like that, 613, that the Jewish people follow today. But he goes up there for a different purpose. This is what I need you to know. Moses goes up there for 40 days and 40 nights to hear from God about holiness. About holiness. He's about to get instructions on how to worship God and how to be holy. That's why. Honestly, one of the greatest reasons why you should fast and pray is simply to know God more. The fact that you would dedicate time, whether it be eight hours, 24 hours, one hour, 15 minutes, to spend time in prayer and to get to know God, don't you think that would delight God? Don't don't you think he knows your heart and knows what you're really after? That's a great reason to fast and pray. And so Moses is mediating for them, interceding for them, so they know how to be holy. Because they didn't really know how to act. I'll tell you why in a minute. I wonder. Some of you are here for the first time at Life of Purpose. I'm excited for that because you can answer this question pretty easily. What what did you expect in terms of how to act? Did you wonder when you first came here to this church, how am I supposed to act? I have dedicated, I have a bunch of questions on our website because this is a big question. This is the reason why a lot of people don't go to church because they don't necessarily know how to act. They don't know, well, what clothes am I supposed to wear? They don't know, like, where do I park? Like, what can I expect? 
So we try to like help ease that, you know, by answering a lot of those questions. But I wonder, do you remember when you first came, like those questions, like what am I going to, how do I act correctly? Because let's be honest, you might have been in a church before that they had a lot of routines and rituals and you didn't want to be standing when everybody else was sitting, right? Like that's embarrassing. You don't want that to happen, right? Like I've done that before. Oh, oh we're sitting now. <laughs> yeah. That, that, I don't want that. So that's how are you supposed to act? I remember when I was um, between fifth grade and ninth grade, I lived in West Branch, Michigan. If you don't know where that is, it's exit 212. It's usually where when people go up north, they stop off to get something to eat. Okay, it's pretty farm country up there, a lot of farmers. How many of you have been to West Branch before? Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Well, I lived there for five years, okay? Now, we weren't farmers, all right? We just lived in farmland, all right, surrounded by farmers. In eighth grade, my good friend, Bo Wangler, that's his name. I'm not making it up, okay? That was his name. He brought to our middle school lunch table cow's tongue for all of us to try. I tried it once, never again. But this was my life growing up in West Branch. I was invited to join the 4-H club. I was invited to join FFA. Do you know what FFA stands for? Future Farmers of America. I heard someone say it. Now, I'm thankful for farmers. Love them. They work their butts off. They provide food. But I'm thankful we moved in ninth grade from farmland to the big city of St. Clair Shores. That's where we moved in 1988. And at that time, I came into a new place, a new city, not looking like everybody else, wondering how am I supposed to look, dress, act. I had long, let's just say what it is. We had mullets up in West Branch. I came here with long hair parted down the middle, Okay, I wore different clothes than everybody else wore. I didn't have, you know, the, the city clothes that everybody had. Um, I looked different, okay? So you can imagine when I went to school and when I started going that um, it, it was a little, little challenging. Um, and it didn't help. Um, my mom's not in the crowd right now. She's down, downstairs uh, helping with the, with the children, with my daughter, Teach. So... I'll have to tell her about this later. She may or may not remember it. But I finally got a friend to come over my house and hang out. And while we're over there, my friend asks something like, why are you so tall? I was kind of tall in, in my grade. And, and my mom said that I was part Amazon. <laughs> Apparently, my ancestors grew up in the jungle. Like, I never heard that before in my life. Why would you do this to me, mother? I didn't bring my friends over for a long time after that, I'll tell you. That was embarrassing. Well, I went to Lakeshore High School. I got a new hairstyle. I got some new clothes. I got some new friends, more friends. And I learned how to act. I learned how to fit in. I learned what the right things to do and so on. The Israelites left Egypt, which was a polytheistic culture. They worshipped many gods. And now they're all alone in the wilderness, and they don't know how to act. They don't know how to worship God. They don't know how to be holy. So God is teaching them through Moses. 
That's what this is all about. He gives them the Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone. But do you know what happens in chapters 24 through 31, which we're going to go through here in the next weeks? He teaches Moses to teach the people about worship. It's all about the tabernacle, the house of God where God is going to dwell. It's all about the furnishings that go in the tabernacle. It's all about the priests and their duties to be able to lead the people in worship. It's all about worship. God is teaching them how to be holy. And he tells them the first four commandments are, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not use my name or say my name uh, in, the, in, uh, in vain. You shall remember my day and you shall keep it holy. So it's all about worshiping God and being holy. That's what the first 40 days and 40 nights are all about. So if you wanted to know, you want to make this practical, if you were to ask me, how can I intercede in prayer for Life of Purpose Church? How can I intercede for this church? If I'm going to go and pray, whatever, whatever you have set aside as your time of prayer, and you want to know how to pray for Life of Purpose Church, for the church members here, I would ask you to pray that when we gather on Sunday as a congregation, that we would worship God with authentic worship. And that means, as Jesus said, in spirit and in truth. That the Holy Spirit would empower us to lead, to teach, to sing, to use our gifts together in the church, and that we would teach the truth teach right from the Bible, exposing the truth, because the truth sets us free. And if you could pray for that, that would be wonderful. That we would not also just be holy on Sunday, but that we would be holy every day. That when we leave this place, people realize, man, you're different. Don't you think our community needs to see what holiness looks like? They do. And I'm going to be honest, I think many of the problems people are having today are a result of living unholy lives. And we can be the example to them. We can love them, encourage them, build them up. Please pray for this church to be more reverent in our worship, more fervent in our prayer, and more holy in our daily lives. Pray for that. Let that be your number one prayer every single day. Can you do that? Thank you. The second 40 days and 40 nights for Moses. You won't see it if you just read through Exodus because it doesn't say in Exodus that he spent 40 days and 40 nights. It says it in Deuteronomy. Moses went up the mountain a second time when, uh, because, because when he came down the first time, they made an image of gods, because again, they came out of that polytheism culture in Egypt, and they made an image of a golden calf, which we're going to talk about next week. Well, I'm going to talk about it, and you're going to, you know, hear it. I like to say we, you know, we're in this together. Um, But they carved a golden image, and it was idolatry at the worst. I mean, they were breaking the commandments that God had spoken to them, which they should have known. 
And so Moses comes down the mountain with the two tablets, which have the Ten Commandments on them, and he's mad, and he throws them down, and they shatter, and then he has to deal with what's going on. The way he deals with it is pretty interesting. But I just want you to know, if you, you, some of you know that I'm a basketball coach at Lakeview High School. If you ever come to a game at Lakeview High School and you see Pastor Matt on the sideline and he throws his clipboard, I'm just trying to be like Moses. I just want you to know that. <laughs> trying to be holy, like him. So Moses has to go back up the mountain because the people have done a terrible wrong. In fact, his brother Aaron is the one who really called on the people to bring the gold and they fashioned this golden calf. So they are in desperate need of forgiveness of God's mercy. This is what it says in Exodus 32.30. The next day, Moses said to the people, you've sinned a great sin, and now I'm going up to the Lord. Maybe, perhaps, I can make atonement for your sin. We jump over to Deuteronomy 9, verse 18. He went up the mountain, he laid prostrate before the Lord as before, 40 days and 40 nights. Again, he ate no bread, no, drank no water. He did this because of the sin they had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They provoked God to anger. I jumped down to verse 26. He said, I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, Do not destroy your people and your heritage, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you've brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. So it appears here that Moses went back up that mountain after only one day down the hill. Forty days and forty nights, comes back for one day, deals with the sin. There was some punishments that had to be uh, put out there for the people who were leading this mess. And then he goes back up, 40 days and 40 nights, pleading for his people, pleading for his brother, Aaron. And you know what I find amazing about Moses? Is the fact that God suggested to him, you can read it and you'll see it for yourself, suggested to Moses, let me just start over with you. Let me just wipe out all of these stubborn, stiff-necked people, and let me start over with you. Now, every guy that's got a little bit of pride in him would be like, yeah, start with me. I'm the man. (laughs) Moses, no. Moses was humble. And he pleaded, God, don't wipe them out. I don't want everyone to know that you did this. You brought them out of Egypt. You made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. God, please. And he begged for mercy. He begged God for 40 days and 40 nights not to destroy the people. And the purpose of this intercessory prayer is mercy. God have mercy on us. You know, sometimes it's tempting to not care about other people that you know that are making some really bad choices. But if you're in the same boat as them, if you're in a boat with somebody who's drilling holes in the bottom of the boat, you're going to care real quick because that boat is sinking. And the reality is God has made us all in his image. And we're all living on the same boat right now. And we should care about people when they make bad choices. So if you ask me, how can you intercede? How can you intercede for the lost, the unbelievers? How can you intercede for 
wanderers? How can you intercede for prodigals? We see all of those kind of categories of people. And the answer to that is pray that God would have mercy on them. Pray that he would have mercy. If you look at the Old Testament prayers, most of the time it's for mercy. These prayer warriors readily admitted that these people were lost in their sin. They, 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 they're so far away from what God would want them to be that they need mercy. And they prayed, they begged God for mercy. So that's what we need to do also. We need to pray for other people that God would have mercy on them. You can pray for your lost neighbor that God would have mercy on him or her. You can pray for your church friend that you haven't seen in a very long time and you wonder what's going on with them, that God would have mercy on them. You can pray for your prodigal son or your prodigal daughter or your prodigal husband or your prodigal wife that they would have, God would have mercy on them. Intercede for God's mercy. Can you do that? The last time, 40 days and 40 nights, Moses gets the call again to come up the mountain. So you can understand with the pattern here. It's like, here's the, the, the plan, and then they failed, and then there's mercy, and now let's renew the plan. That's what God is doing. That's why Moses gets the call. Verse 2, chapter 34, be ready by the morning. Come up the mountain to Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me on top of the mountain. Exodus uh, 34, verse 28 so Moses was there with the Lord another 40 days and 40 nights. He had no bread, drank no water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. That's Moses wrote with the finger of God. I mean, God wrote with his own finger. Moses brought the tablets. Moses came down with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. As he came down from the mountain, Moses didn't realize his face was shining because he was talking in the presence of God. So Moses has the Ten Commandments, and he's going to put them in the Ark of the Covenant, which we'll talk about in weeks to come here. That's what God told him to do. But what's the purpose of this last trip? The answer is grace. Remember, there's two covenants. I preached on this a little while ago. There's the covenant, the old covenant, that's of works. If you do this, God blesses you. That's the covenant of works. If you don't do it, God doesn't bless you. Thank God we're not under that covenant. Our promise is the covenant of grace. God's grace, something we don't earn. We don't deserve it. It's, it's a gift from God. And so the covenant of grace is given to Moses, and it's on this mountain, and there's this promise that's just full of grace. He, he gives them the new Ten Commandments, and... They go down, and from that point on, they start building the tabernacle. They get all the supplies, they build it, they start preparing to leave Mount Sinai to head to the promised land. So if you ask me today, how can you intercede for specific people? So the Holy Spirit prompts you to pray for someone. Or someone asks you to pray for me. How can you intercede for them with grace? How can you do that? I feel like more than ever, and I feel like COVID and the pandemic really exasperated the problem that was already there, but it really brought it to light, and it's the issue of mental health. 
There's a serious issue when it comes to mental health for a lot of people. You ask professionals, health professionals, they will tell you there's more than ever cases of anxiety, depression, people having suicidal thoughts. There's more addiction going on than ever before. And I know that those people are trying hard. They're in programs. They're getting counseling. They're getting help, many of them. But what about you helping them through prayer? What about you interceding for someone? Surely you know someone. Everybody here is impacted by someone that's got a mental health issue going on. What if you interceded for them? What if you prayed for them over and over again? That the Holy Spirit would give them power. Remember, Paul told Timothy, God doesn't give you the spirit of timidity, shyness. He gives you a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. So why don't we pray for those people that need it? Intercede for them. That they would know God's grace, His forgiveness, His power to overcome their issue. And honestly, that they would know the truth. Because only the truth of God's Word can defeat the lies of the enemy that is prevalent in our world today. So they need you to pray for them. And you may feel like, oh man, there's just too many. There's just, I don't even know where to start. Let me tell you a story you might have heard before. There was an older gentleman taking a walk on the beach one day, on the ocean. And he's walking along and he realizes that there are starfish that have been washed up on shore and they're everywhere in the sand. And if the starfish don't get back into the water, they will die. And so he, he recognizes, he notices there's a little boy, young boy, probably 10, 11 years old, and he's picking up starfish and he's throwing them back in the ocean. And he walks up to him and he says, what are you doing, young man? And he says, I'm saving these starfish. And he says, look, look, look around you. There's thousands of them. You can't save them all. You can't. You're never going to make a difference here. And the little boy just leans down, picks one up, throws it in and says, I made a difference to that one. And that's what I'm asking you to do. Intercede for at least one. Make a difference for just one. And see what God does. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for your reminder to me and to everyone here that we are called as Christians, as followers of your son Jesus, to intercede for one another. Father, may we intercede for this church to worship you, to be holy in our lives. May we intercede for those that are lost, that are fallen away, that are broken, that you would have mercy on them. And when we intercede for those that need your grace more than ever, they need a victory in their lives. Father, that victory is your grace, knowing that if we cast all of our cares on you, all of our anxieties on you, you can give us a peace that goes beyond our understanding. I pray this in Jesus' name.